Hello and welcome to Murder in the Central Valley. Most of you listening are probably familiar with the Central Valley, California. But for the layman the Central Valley refers to the elongated, flat stretch of land about 450 miles long that runs from northeast to southeast in through the center of California. Often called the breadbasket of the world, it's thought to be mostly farms and agriculture but there's a lot of towns and cities here with about 7 million people. The Central Valley is no stranger to unusual crime with quite a few high-profile cases throughout the years. The information contained in this podcast is obtained from online sources. All people reported on here are innocent until proven guilty. Most of these crimes have been through the court system and the suspects are tucked away safely in prison. Episode 1. What Happened to Mary? This story, or should I say saga, is the disappearance of Mary Marino Starkey. It has twists and turns, an extensive search, a jailhouse snitch and even an act of God. Mary Marino was born in Oakdale in 1958. Later moving to Ripon, she graduated from Ripon High School where she was a majorette and award-winning baton twirler. Family members said she was also a talented ballet dancer. Friends describe her as shy, gentle and kind. She loved animals. She even had a pet anteater. Fast forward several decades, it's June 2005 and Mary, now 46, is going through a painful divorce. Her mother said she had been suffering from depression but had turned the corner and was starting to feel better. Needing a little extra cash Marino Starkey put her boat up for sale. It was right in front of her house with a for sale sign on it. One day, a man appeared at the home and expressed interest in buying the boat. Mary's mother Olivia remembers meeting the man and shaking his hand. He said he wanted to buy the boat, but after Mary came out of the house with the paperwork he said he didn't have quite enough money and needed to go to the safety deposit box to get more. Mary agreed to follow him to the bank. They drove off in separate cars at about 2.30 on a Wednesday. When she didn't return home Starkey's family called the sheriff's department. The San Joaquin County sheriffs took a report but had little to go on. The description her mom gave was a clean-shaven white or Latino man with a colorful tattoo of an eagle on his right forearm, this description will come into question later. Olivia also aided in having a composite sketch made. The media quickly picked up on the story and plastered Mary's picture and a description of her car, a 1997 Saturn, all over TV and newspapers. Five days later a relative found her car in the parking lot of a winery in Escalon just a few miles from her home. Officers examined the Saturn and found a purse containing a driver's license and credit cards in the name of Mary Starkey, as well as $327 in cash. Investigators watched the security camera footage of the parking lot and observed a man wearing a number 31 Raiders jersey parking the car and walking in the employee entrance at about 10.30 p.m. on the day of the disappearance. He was quickly identified as the janitor. 43-year-old Roy Gerald Smith So who is Roy Smith? Smith a four-time sex offender and had spent time in state prison for sex crimes against women and a child under the age of 14. While in prison, he became a pen pal with a woman named Lolita Rodriguez. Later they would marry and he got released, moved into an apartment in Manteca, and had two children. So while knowing Smith's violent past, 
what came next should not have been a surprise to Rodriguez, but it was. On June 15, the day Mary disappeared, Lolita came home about 6.30 and noticed Roy was wearing no shirt, blue jeans and looked either wet or sweaty. The kids wanted to use the bathroom, Smith told them no. Finally, he let them. After they were done, Lolita went into the bathroom to investigate. She saw a figure in the tub. Rodriguez slid back the frosted shower glass, revealing a naked arm and shoulder of a woman laying dead in the bathtub. She yelled at Roy, what have you done? I hate you. She gathered up the kids and went down the street to a restaurant. After the restaurant closed, a few hours later, they returned home and the body was gone. After all this Rodriguez didn't leave him. She and the kids stayed there at the home with Roy until June 20th when Smith was arrested. Smith told Lolita that he doesn't know if he's going to be able to get out of this, so he wanted her to go stay with her family. A search of Smith's home produced a Raiders jersey with the number 31 on it like the one seen in the surveillance video. At his arraignment he pleaded not guilty, he said he had no idea what happened to Mary. Smith remained behind bars awaiting trial. An extensive search ensued. San Joaquin County has a lot of farmland. Lots of places to dump a body. Investigators searched walnut and almond orchards, irrigation ditches and miles of back roads. Thinking that her body was thrown in a dumpster or garbage can, operations were halted at the local landfill while cops searched through all the trash from Manteca residents. They even checked under several hundred manhole covers within a two-mile radius of Roy's house. Nothing. Investigators interviewed Roy's co-workers. One stated that at the change of shift the next morning, Roy left the winery in a van of a fellow employee, Jorge. After having told him that the car belonged to a drug dealer, he said, You know what, Jorge, I think I did something bad. And later said he had killed the dealer in a drug dispute. He used the word asphyxiate when he demonstrated how he reached around the dealer from behind and covered the mouth to prevent the dealer from breathing. Jorge saw scratches and abrasions on Roy's hands. He explained the dealer struggled and kicked really hard. He said his wife saw the body in the bathtub and became angry with him. Roy asked him for suggestions as to where he should dump the body. Jorge suggested a dumpster. Smith looked at him and asked, you ain't going to tell on me, would you? Roy never returned to work. This is where the story twists. Enter 53-year-old Randall Raddick. Raddick had been the pastor at Ripon's first congregational church for nearly a decade. It's the oldest house of worship in town. Randall developed a taste for the finer things. Things that a pastor's salary wouldn't cover. He really, really wanted a BMW and a new laptop. So he did the logical thing. He sold the church and its rectory. Neither which belonged to him. The whole scheme went south when the bank started snooping around and exposed Raddick. He was arrested and thrown in the county jail. Randall struck a deal that he would serve 16 months in prison and pay back $50,000. While in lockup he made a new friend. Roy Smith. Raddick gained the trust of Roy who would confess the whole crime to him. 
Smith thought that there were confidentiality rules regarding clergy that made it impossible for Raddick to testify against him. He was wrong. Randall wasn't Roy's pastor and had no obligation to him. He made a deal that would keep him out of prison. He promised to testify against Smith in his murder trial to avoid prison. Raddick was set free. Lolita, Roy's wife refused to testify against her husband, citing, spousal privilege. But her statements to police recorded during interrogation would be used in the courtroom. In 2007 just before Roy Gerald Smith was about to head to a death penalty trial he would surely lose, he confessed to the kidnapping and murder of Mary Marino Starkey. In a plea deal he would plead guilty to laying in wait, kidnapping and murder. He would also show authorities where he dumped Mary's body two years before. Raddick was off the hook and never had to testify against Smith and never served any more time. Smith and heavily armed agents, under his direction, headed to Amador County to find Mary's remains. A few miles from Fiddletown, lightning struck some brush beside a road and started a fire. When firefighters were putting out the blaze they discovered skeletal remains wrapped in bedding. It was Mary. Even though Smith didn't actually take them to the body, he still avoided the death penalty because at least he was trying. Smith will spend the rest of his life behind bars. And just when it seemed it was over, the man that Mary was divorcing wanted to send her remains to a previously purchased plot in another state, so they could be buried next to each other someday. The Marino family had to file a restraining order to keep her remains on hold until a trial. In the end Mary's family got possession of her remains and is interred in a mausoleum in Escalon. And that's the story of Mary Marino Starkey. But did Roy act alone? Remember the description Mary's mother gave to investigators? A clean-shaven white or Latino man with a colorful tattoo of an eagle on his right forearm. When Roy was arrested five days after the disappearance he was not clean-shaven, he had a beard, and at a preliminary hearing Roy was asked to show his arms. No tattoos. So how did Olivia, then 81, get it so wrong? She helped investigators make a composite and also picked Smith out of a photo lineup. The co-worker that gave him a ride home had a colorful tattoo of a dragon on his right arm. Could the co-worker actually be the man that coaxed Mary to the bank and the two overpowered her? He was cleared by authorities leaving only Roy to answer for the crime. When Lolita, the wife, saw the body in the tub, collected their children and left for a few hours, then came home. Where did Roy stash Mary's body? And when did he take her to Amador County to discard her body? Throughout the years Roy has filed for an appeal at least several times throughout the years, and each time it has been denied. Prosecutors state he hasn't been forthcoming about what he did to Mary on that fateful day. Next time. Independence Day in a small town. While the townsfolk were enjoying a patriotic parade, blocks away, police were investigating a grisly scene, an entire family wiped out in minutes. What made a father do the unthinkable? Next week. Episode 2, Mourn on the 4th of July. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you liked what you heard, comment down below and tell a friend. Hope to see you next time. And if you have a case you think I should cover, email me at murderinthecentralvalley at gmail.com. Thank you.